Hey everybody, this is Farmer D with the Citizen Farmers Podcast, bringing you inspiration, knowledge, and resources to help you grow healthy food, build thriving communities, and give back to the earth. For the past 25 years, I've been designing and building farms and gardens from backyards to agrihoods, and I'm excited to share my passion and experience for growing food and community with you. Let's dig in. To forget how to dig the earth and to tend the soil is to forget ourselves. Gandhi. I'd like to start this episode on tilling equals initiative, chapter three, by talking a little bit about the importance of soil. Soil is the skin of the planet. It's really the beginning and end of life. It is what gives us sustenance and enables us to live and grow our bodies and our minds. And it's also where we go when we die. Soil is this connection to all things. It's the foundation of life. And it's the most important aspect of cultivating our gardens is about cultivating the soil. In this episode, I really want to focus on tending the soil and how our connection to the soil is also a connection to our souls, right? The soil is where we come from. It's where we go. The nutrients that come from the soil are what we need to be healthy humans. And it's the plants and animals that are the conduit that enable us to draw those nutrients from the soil into our bodies. And so I want to talk about the importance of taking care of our soil. And so healthy soil is the key to healthy plants. There's a great quote in Rudolf Steiner's Agriculture Lectures, how Rudolf Steiner explains how the earth is like a person standing on their head, right? So the soil is like our brain, our head. It's the dense mineral realm. It's a very complex, rich ecosystem of all kinds of things happening in the soil and in our heads. The soil, the skin of the planet is like the diaphragm of our body. And then everything above the ground is our stomach, our respiration, our circulation, our digestion, right? That's all happening in the atmosphere. So if you think about it, it's like our feet are like the flowers, and our head is the soil. And so I, I bring that up because I always found that analogy really potent because when we nurture the soil and balance the soil in the same way that we nurture and balance our minds, the seeds or the metaphoric seeds, the ideas, the initiatives that we take in our lives are gonna be much healthier when they're growing from healthy soil, well-nourished, balanced soil. And really our minds are nourished by the soil by what we eat and how we take care of ourselves. And so it's really important to understand how what we put into the soil and the way we take care of the soil has this direct connection with how we take care of ourselves and how we nourish our bodies and our minds and our souls, right? Having our hands in the soil is this really powerful connection to life and to ourselves. There's actually some really interesting biblical references as well to the potency of having your hands in the soil. And more recently, there's been some modern research that shows that when your hands are in the soil, there's actually this transaction that happens that is an antidepressant. The soil actually has this amazing energy, these properties that go through the cells of our skin, through the the largest organ in our body, and it percolates into our bodies. And there's something about that quality of the soil, especially living soil, that does two things. It nourishes us on a spiritual level. It energizes us. It acts as an antidepressant or as a happiness cultivator. 
And it also, there's also some really interesting research coming out now about the, the value of having our hands in the soil for enriching our microbiome. Now there's all this research that's tying our microbiome to all kinds of health issues, right? So as a society, we've become so sterilized and we're so disconnected from the soil. And, you know, especially right now, it's ironic, you know, with COVID and everybody so germaphobic, there's this, this kind of counterbalance to that, which is the more we're exposed to the natural biology in nature, especially in the soil, the more resilient we are because we become inoculated, cultured with all these beneficial bacterias and organisms that actually you know, we're made up of. And so I won't go down too deep of a rabbit hole there, but it's fascinating when you look at the power of soil for healing ourselves, obviously growing healthy food, which, which indirectly will nourish us, but also there's this direct nourishment when you have a relationship with the soil. There's some interesting research that came out about how children growing up on farms are much less prone to things like asthma and allergies because they've been exposed to all these things as they're growing up. So let's get out in the, in the garden, get dirty, let's get our hands in the soil. This is really an important thing. And I, I can't emphasize enough the value of investing in your soil. It is your bank account for your garden. And we talked a lot in, our, in the composting chapter, composting session, about making compost and the importance of that cycle of bringing nutrients back into the soil. Today, what I really want to focus on is how you take care of that soil and thinking about different ways for tending the soil to grow a healthy garden. There's two main aspects of soil that I want to highlight, and this is high level, okay, because we can go very deep into each of these. One is the biological quality of soil, and what I mean by that is all the living organisms. You know, there's, something, there's, a, there's a saying that within a teaspoon of soil, there's more organisms than there are people on the planet. Something along those lines, right? Let's just, the basic gist is there's a lot going on from a biological standpoint in soil. A lot of living organisms, microorganisms, bacteria, fungi, azotobacters, actinomycetes, and lots of other words that I can't pronounce. We're just starting to understand how soil works and the complexities of fungi and bacteria. There's been amazing innovation in healthcare around taking some of these biological elements out of the soil and applying them to medicine. We're just starting to peel back the onion, so to speak, of all the different healing benefits of fungi, as an example. If you haven't seen the movie Fantastic Fungi, I highly recommend it. And so there's bacterial and there's fungal activity going on in the soil. We'll talk more about that later. And there's all kinds of microorganisms, fascinating web of life in the soil. One aspect is feeding and supporting the biological life in your soil. And that to me is the the most important. And we'll talk more about how to do that. The other aspect of soil is the chemistry of soil. There's the pH. And the pH is really important because at certain pHs at certain levels, it allows for nutrients to flow. And if that pH is not balanced, then a lot of nutrients, even if they're in the soil, cannot be available to plants. So different plants like slightly different pH ratios. So balancing that pH is really important. The other chemistry aspects of soil are things like calcium and magnesium. The balance of calcium and magnesium is really important as far as the basic structure, the basic chemical structure of soil. And so making sure that those are balanced is really important. There's lots of other nutrients going on, lots of other minerals going on in the soils, micronutrients and macronutrients. The things you hear most about in agriculture are N, P, and K, nitrogen, phosphorus, and potassium. 
a lot of times you'll see a fertilizer has three numbers, like a four, six, two. That's four parts of nitrogen, six parts of phosphorus, two parts of potassium in that. And, and different plants like more nitrogen, they might like more potassium, they might like more phosphorus, depending on what you're growing. And then your soil base level is going to have a certain amount of those things in the soil. And so you can look at, you know, how do you improve and, and balance the macronutrients like nitrogen, which really feeds kind of the vegetative growth and phosphorus, which feeds more of the fruiting growth and potassium, which supports that fruiting growth and strength of the plant. And then there's also all these micronutrients, right? There's tons of micronutrients in the soil, all kinds of different micros, copper, molybdenum, selenium, there's zinc, there's iron, there's tons of micro elements that also are needed. Boron is a really big one, can lead to a lot of issues when you have boron deficiencies, things like blossom end rot and tomatoes. There's a really dynamic process happening beneath our feet when chemistry and biology and the soil are working together. It's pretty incredible. And unfortunately, most soils have been impacted by you know, poor practices, whether that's putting chemicals on the lawn or using things in the garden or moving soil around from construction. And it's rare that you, you land in a place where your soil has been really well stewarded. Unfortunately, that's just the reality. So oftentimes, more often than not, we're starting with a pretty poor soil. And I'll, I'll talk a little bit about ways to kind of expedite the soil building process, right? Soil building happens over hundreds and thousands of years. And so what's one of the things that's so powerful is that we as gardeners and stewards have this kind of unique ability on the earth compared to other creatures to really till and tend. You know, now we're going back to like the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and Eve were put in the garden to till and to tend, to, to be stewards, to take care of the garden. And that's a role that we should take seriously. And I think this comes back to the quote that I opened this episode with, you know, to forget how to dig the earth and to tend the soil is to forget ourselves. I mean, this is what we're here to do, right? And I think there's an innate aspect to this where this, this is like reconnecting to who we are as humans. What we want to do is balance the biology and the chemistry. We want to balance it and we also want to enliven it. So I'd say kind of balance the chemistry and enliven the biology. And once the biology is really pumping, it kind of takes care of itself. It starts to kind of self-regulate. Let's talk a little bit about how to do that. On the chemistry side, what I typically would recommend is just take a basic soil test. Okay, now there's two kinds of soil tests, right? One for chemistry and one for biology. So you can get a baseline understanding of where is my soil as far as pH, calcium, magnesium, what does it need in the way of nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and micronutrients. And so that soil test is pretty standard. You can do that through universities, like through the extension agencies. You can do that through soil labs. There's a bunch of labs. We'll have resources up on the Citizen Farmers website for different places that you can go for, for soil tests. And then there's also the biological soil testing, which has emerged more in the last couple of decades. There's some, some really innovative soil biologists, like Dr. Elaine Ingram is one of those that went to also University of Georgia, like I did. She really is responsible for, I think, bringing the soil food web to the mainstream. She's had a huge impact. But this is, this is an area that has been studied for a long time. And I think we're just starting to really value in agriculture the importance of soil health. And I say we, I mean, as a society, I mean, I think soil health was pretty much brushed aside with the Green Revolution and everybody just started pumping chemicals into plants and bypassing the soil. 
and really destroying the soil at the expense of that more efficient economical system. But the, the, the true cost of that environmentally and health-wise are staggering. And we're starting to really see how we're paying the price for that in the dead zones in the ocean and higher cancer rates and people and, and all kinds of issues. I mean, it's just riddled. We, we are, our agricultural system has really infected the planet with all kinds of toxic chemicals. Agriculture and landscaping, the way we tend the earth is really a problem. So we as citizen farmers can start in our own yards, but also take this to our neighborhoods and to our schools and to our community parks and really promote the idea of using non-toxic chemicals, non-toxic inputs. And let's start you know, building biology and storing carbon in the soil and revitalizing this crucial resource that we all depend on for life. There's a great organization that's Farmer's Footprint that I've worked with for a few years now that's really promoting this non-toxic neighborhoods initiatives and getting more and more local municipalities on board with policies to reduce the amount of chemicals in the environment, especially on like parks and sports fields where our kids are playing. So I won't go down that rabbit hole right now, but what I want to emphasize is in your garden, let's look at your soil test to understand where your chemistry is in your soil and what you need to do to adjust it. And for pH... It's pretty simple. There's lime and sulfur, you know, for kind of adjusting the dial, so to speak, of turning your pH up or turning your pH down. And activating that lime or sulfur with biology, with compost, really helps. And I can get more into the details of that later. But just basic principle here is when you see what your pH is, if it's too low, you want to add lime and bring it up. If it's too high, you want to add sulfur and bring it down. These are just basic organic inputs. There are two different kinds of lime. There's a calcitic lime and a dolomitic lime. The calcitic lime increases the, the pH and the calcium, uses kind of calcium as the carrier, and dolomitic lime is more magnesium rich. So you do want to look at your calcium-magnesium ratio is really important, okay? You want like around the 60% calcium and like 12 to 15% magnesium. These are things that you can talk to your soil lab about. But essentially, when you do add lime, that's one thing I encourage people to look at is if that calcium-magnesium ratio needs more calcium, go with a calcitic lime. If it needs more magnesium, then go with the dolomitic lime. So that's just some basics. And then the micronutrients is something that we can get into with amendments. So we call these amendments, right? Mineral amendments are actually adding things like lime, rock phosphate. There's all kinds of minerals that get crushed up. These are basically rocks, right, that are mined, most of them in a pretty non-harmful way, something to look at. But a lot of the minerals that we add to our soils are basically ground up rock that's fine enough that our soils can start to break it down and make it available to the plants. There's some really good ones out there, things like azomite, langbanite. There's some really amazing minerals that small amounts can go a long way in building up the revitalizing the mineral bank in your soil. There's also fertilizers, fertilizer amendments, fertilizer inputs, oftentimes made out of plants and animal byproducts. So the plants are usually like the meal that's left over from like making soybean meal, the cottonseed meal, the feather meal, the crab shells, oyster shells, which is another calcium lime resource. There's a lot of really great animal byproducts, bone meal, blood meal that can be used. There's also plant-based inputs amendments like alfalfa meal. I mentioned soybean meal, cottonseed meal. There's plant-based and animal-based amendments that you can add to your soil to increase the 
different like nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, micronutrients. So we can get more into that later, but I just want to give you a sense of basically, you know, look at your soil chemistry. Let's figure out how to get that balanced. And it's something that I'd say at least once a year is best practice to test and amend. The fall is a really good time because it takes some time for these amendments to kind of get into the soil and become available. For example, lime will take two to three months before it really becomes available to the plants. So you don't want to throw this down last minute. This just kind of takes a little bit of planning to time things so that you give the soil a chance to take it in and, and, and make it available. Now, I think, you know, feeding the soil is not that different from feeding ourselves. So you want to think about smaller doses more often, right? It's like you're not going to eat all three meals of the day in the morning and get it out of the way. So the soil is the same way. For example, if your garden is asking for 100 pounds of lime per 100 square feet, well, you might give it 50 on the first application, okay? Let that get worked in and then come back and add like another 50, you know, the next season or even the next year and, and maybe even retest because if you use compost and other things, cover crops, green manures, which we'll talk more about later, you might actually need less of the actual mineral because you, you've, you've helped the soil come alive and it, it, it needs less when the biology is really pumping. So that's a little bit around like the, the chemistry and some of the amendments. There's great organic fertilizers that are now like blended with not only the chemistry, the mineral-based inputs that are enlivened but not alive, okay? They're enlivened in that the rock is enlivened. There's, there's energy, there's nutrients, but it's not biologically active like compost or compost tea or, or certain mycorrhiza. So a lot of fertilizers now have blends of mycorrhiza inside the fertilizer, which helps once it gets wet, gets activated, there's biological activity that comes along with it. So that's the other piece is adding compost. It's a simple approach, right? Add compost and organic fertilizer together, and then they, they just they work in harmony together because one's giving you this like mineral input, the other one's giving you this biological activity, the compost microorganisms will feed on the fertilizer inputs, the amendments, and make them more available to the plants. And that just that together is what basically jump starts and kind of activates the soil so that your plants can grab onto those nutrients and thrive. So that's a quick overview. I want to take a little bit of a fun tangent on this. I want to talk a little bit about the role of nitrogen. Rudolf Steiner in the agriculture lectures introduces us to the five sisters. Nitrogen, oxygen, hydrogen, carbon, and sulfur. Okay, these are the gases that are prevalent and critical in growing food. And they're abundant in the atmosphere, right? Nitrogen is abundant in the atmosphere. It's one of the most abundant things in the atmosphere. It's also like the most applied fertilizer. Nitrogen is what grows green plants, right? It's the vegetative. It's like the, the thing that drives the plant. And why I want to bring it up is it illustrates a really important point, which is that nitrogen according to Steiner in his work, is the thing that basically drives the will and desire of people. And it's really fascinating because what happens is nitrogen is what grows, like let's just use like a soybean, for example, okay? So soybeans are very protein rich and they're also nitrogen fixing plants. They're legumes, they fix nitrogen, which means they literally absorb nitrogen out of the atmosphere through their leaves and flowers. They channel it down through their stems into their roots. And at the base of the roots are these little nodules called rhizobia nodules that literally fill up as little pouches of liquid nitrogen. And that nitrogen then from the atmosphere is now in the soil. If you have biology, if ants are herding aphids and milking them, 
and growing fungus with that and making their own food. That whole dynamic process that happens naturally in the soil when a soil is alive and healthy will actually make that nitrogen available to the plants. And so a lot of times you'll see people will plant beans and, and corn and squash together, right? Well, beans fix nitrogen and provide nitrogen to the corn and corn eats a lot of nitrogen. You have this natural cycle. Well, what's happened in agriculture and in gardening is we've replaced the natural process with an artificial nitrogen, crude nitrogen. It's made using artificial processes. It's uh, ammonium-based. It's, it's pretty toxic stuff. And from a philosophical perspective, what's fascinating in what Steiner talks about, and a lot of biodynamics digs a little deeper than the science. It's a little bit of a spiritual science, but it's, it makes sense. And, and this, is, this is the idea. When we eat protein, for example, soybeans, tofu, soy milk, et cetera, we're getting that protein and that protein, when we break it down, gets broken down back to nitrogen, right? It started as nitrogen. It built up into the, that nitrogen that was in those nodules, goes back up the plant and helps fill that bean with all that nitrogen, which then becomes protein that we eat. And that's what gives us will and desire. That's what gives us this energy, right? To take initiative, okay? Now, this is the tilling equals initiative chapter. And this is about, you know, digging the earth, taking the step is about taking an initiative, right? But now what happens is when you are nourished with nitrogen, protein, that has come from a natural process with nature working in this dynamic, complex way, all these different forces and organisms in symphony, in harmony, coming together to bring nitrogen, free nitrogen from the atmosphere into the soil through a living process and back into the plant, and we eat that, that complex nitrogen, organic nitrogen, nourishes us to think. Okay, this comes back to this idea of like the, the soil is like our brain. That gives us the ability to think at a much more complex, sophisticated, holistic level than if that nitrogen came straight through a shot of crude nitrogen right into the plant and bypassed all the living systems. Okay, now what's happened is our society... Our planet is mostly fed with food that's grown with artificial nitrogen, crude nitrogen, okay? And so our short-term mentality, I think, can be attributed in part to that basic process of how nitrogen gets into our food and into our bodies and feeds the way we take initiative, feeds our will and desire, feeds the way we think about and take action on our ideas, okay? And we think very short-term in today's world. We don't think like seven generations deep, right? I mean, this is part of the problem that we're in. We're in such a crisis because everybody just has been kind of consuming and thinking just for themselves and not about their kids and their grandkids and seven generations out. And we have this fast food mentality that I think can be attributed to this nitrogen process. And so I just want to illustrate that as a little bit of a sidebar, a little bit of a biodynamic exploration into how these minerals and gases and bi biological processes in our soil kind of play out and when they reflect in, in, in us as part of nature, as an extension of the soil. I'm going to bring it back from there. And we're going to talk a little bit more about, about amendments. Okay. So the core amendment that I, that, I, you know, going back to the composting episode, it's about compost. Okay. It's about feeding the soil back the nutrients that we're taking out of it. Right. We harvest a crop. That crop has pulled nutrients out of the soil. We've consumed those. We've benefited from that. We need to put that back, right? So all the scraps, all the compost, all the waste that gets regenerated back into the soil is critical to keeping that cycle of nutrient cycling alive, okay? Now, there's lots of great things we can do to charge that cycle up and support it. One of the core ones, core principles is composting, 
Okay, so we add compost. We talked about adding compost in the spring before we plant. We add compost in the fall, you know, before the we put the garden to rest in the winter. And then we side dress with compost throughout the growing season. Now, we can also make what's called compost tea. There's actually a little recipe in the book. And compost tea is a very simple idea. It's basically taking compost, aerating it, and oxygenating it, which feeds the microbes in the compost, activates them. And then we take that liquid and we put it out in our gardens and on our plants and all those microbes that come alive in the compost from the water and oxygenation go to work quickly. So it's a really potent way of enlivening the the soil biology. And it's also been proven that compost teas combat disease in plants because all those beneficial microbes, all those beneficial organisms go attack the predators and it's incredible. And so this is the same principle of the microbiome in our body, right? So compost tea, healthy compost, brewed into tea, applied into our gardens, our lawns, our soils is an incredible way to activate and enliven our soils. There are lots of other kinds of compost tea brews. The biodynamic preparations, for example, the Pfeiffer field spray, the biodynamic compost preparation, all of the biodynamic preparations are actually based on the same principle as compost tea, right? Stimulating the microorganisms, stimulating the, the biological activity, enlivening the natural processes in nature and bringing them to life and supporting them and feeding them and continuing to promote the positive process that happens in nature when it's well stewarded. Okay, the other thing that I want to talk about with this is mulch. What happens when soil is exposed to the sun is it dries out and the microbes don't like that, right? It makes a very uninhabitable or inhospitable environment for microorganisms and worms and all the things. So, but you'll notice like if you leave a piece of wood on the ground and you pick it up after a week, there'll be all kinds of worms and mealyworms and bugs and all this amazing activity going on that gets drawn up to that piece of wood. And so the same principle is true when we mulch our gardens. We're covering the soil and preventing it from drying out from the sun, and we're drawing up the life in the soil to come up and digest that and bring it down, pull it down into the soil, eat it, chew it, break it down, turn it into organic matter and nutrients. And so there's two basic kinds of mulch that I want to highlight. One is wood mulch, any kind of bark What's unique about wood mulch, it's got very rich nutrients in it, right? All the, the tree, trees, wood bark is very rich in minerals. It's also very high in fungal activity, okay? Whereas grass and other like straw, hay, grass clippings from the garden, from the lawn, those are also excellent mulch, but much higher in bacterial activity. They're more bacterially dominated and wood is more fungally dominated. You want a balance of both, and you don't want to get too carried away with one without the other. So what I recommend is kind of a mix or at least a balanced approach to where you're using mulches in the garden and in the landscape that are both grass kind of based and also wood based. And those mulches are incredible for building up organic matter and supporting the micro life, the biological life in the soil. And they also add nutrients at the same time. And that's it for part one of Tilling Equals Initiative, Understanding the Magic of Soil. Tune in for part two, where we put this knowledge to work and get our hands dirty, building beds to grow healthy food. Join the Citizen Farmers community. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook. For more information, check out today's show notes. Special thanks to our pilot sponsor, Netafim, the company that first brought drip irrigation to the world over 50 years ago. This podcast was co-produced and recorded by Ben Bernstein. 
Our audio editor is Stephanie Lamond. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Citizen Farmers Podcast with Farmer D. Until next time, enjoy your time in the garden.